Welcome back for the second half of this podcast on sex and relationships with Alex Fryer of It Happens. And here goes for more information that I think you will find both interesting and enlightening. And I think several young people that I've spoken to have thought uh, that anal sex was safer because you can't get pregnant, but that comes with some serious price tags. It certainly does. I mean, personally... um, I continue, even after 25, 30 years in the business, to be shocked at that kind of attitude. Um, Anal sex is a highly um, intimate and... um, It's not something to be taken lightly. Um, It's not um, first line, no matter how much porn you watch. It's not what a lot of people, couples choose to do. It can be extremely painful and unpleasant if it's carried out and, you know... in in a bad way Um, and it's certainly not um, you know a safer method yes you're not going to get pregnant that way but you can get horrible diseases just you know through that level of intimacy and you can cause damage you Mm -hmm. know so anal sex is something that a couple who are comfortable and confident um, and sexually very um, enlightened may be something they do want to carry out between them and some people enjoy it and certainly in same-sex relationships obviously mm-hmm. however um, yeah not as an alternative to contraception no. ever I don't think so and and oral sex because I think a lot of them don't realize that you can catch um, I have a wonderful slide that I put up when I'm doing the session on STI, sexually transmitted infections, describing the ways in which you can get a, um, a sexually transmitted infection. And that is to include, obviously, um, penetrative sex, so anal sex, vaginal sex, oral sex, very much so. Um, and then, obviously, um, the sharing of sex toys, um genital to eye contact genital to genital contact and even skin touching diseases like chlamydia and gonorrhea can be passed around through touch you do not have to have penetrative sex so using a condom they will say oh well what's the point in using a condom it will offer you a greater level of protection it's not a guarantee when you become sexually active and you are carrying any of those kind of um you know carrying out any of those kind of sort of activities you need to be getting regularly checked and yeah, screened once a year to to every often. time you have a new partner right so if you're with the same one five years that's five checks but if you're changing yeah. regularly you change with you have one for with every partner yeah there's a wonderful um youtube clip with shane booty um talking about how she got chlamydia from her long-term partner um and didn't think she possibly could because she was in a monogamous relationship and i'm afraid people cheat so you have to get checked once Mm -hmm. a year every time you have a new partner and chlamydia is the silent one isn't it chlamydia and gonorrhea to an extent as well uh, but chlamydia yes 70 percent of cases of uh, chlamydia you will have no signs and symptoms um, so the only way to really be sure with chlamydia is to be regularly screened it's a urine sample you pee in a pot they send it away sometimes they can do it there and then um but if you have got chlamydia, the treatment is four antibiotics and a glass of water and you're cured. Yeah. So, you know, why wouldn't you? It's well, it's the important because it has impact later on for fertility. Chlamydia, chlamydia um, and another nasty disease that's rearing its head at the moment, which is called MG, which I used to think was a nice, smart little black car. <laughs> but actually, um, it's now a disease that's developing into a superbug and causes pelvic inflammatory disease in young women. 
Um, these diseases are all having a very big impact on women's health and fertility um, and men's health as well. Chlamydia obviously is a problem for infertility as well um, and it can actually cause that damage in as little as three months if it's undiagnosed wow. and you don't even know if there's anything wrong until wow. you start trying to have children and yeah. then it's devastating. Too late. Yeah. So talking about the superbugs, uh, I presume a lot of these are treated with antibiotics. They are, but disease, this one, MG, Mycoplasma genitalia, um, there was an article uh, from the BMJ in July this year saying that they fear that they are not going to be able to continue to develop antibiotics that will beat this bug, and in 10 years' time, it could become untreatable. Um, and diseases like syphilis are beginning to rear their head again. The increase in syphilis is absolutely huge. Now, if we were to get a situation where syphilis became a superbug syphilis goes in three stages and in the final one it attacks every organ in the body including the brain and sends you mad mm -hmm. it's a horrible disease yeah. so you know we need to get the message across constantly with young people and actually not just young people mm -hmm. because actually one of the biggest areas of um, sexually transmitted infection growth is in 50s and 60s because people are marrying again or having relationships or okay. coming out of old relationships and more difficult to have the conversation for two reasons one was they weren't so good in the first place and second it's quite hard to ask someone to use condom if you're postmenopausal. so right. you know it, it's yeah. a tricky thing yeah. so um just things to think about but um we need to be proactive not reactive we've got to stop picking up the pieces and yeah. dishing out the, the drugs and just stop getting them in the first place the less sex you, you have, <laughs> the less risk there is. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why. You, yeah, we both we're both very keen on prevention rather than cure, yeah. whether that's mental health or sexual health. Absolutely. You know, we don't we can't keep on picking up the pieces at the end. You because the drugs might not work, and us because there isn't the finance to do it. You know, there just Absolutely. isn't. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I think that's so important. So, if um, if they've had a one night stand, you know that. And you wake up in the morning and you're not entirely sure what's happened or what, whether, whether a condom was used or not, or what would your advice be at that point? Well, the two things you would need to take care of straight away. The first one is if there's any doubt in your mind whatsoever that you had unprotected sex, you need to act quickly. You need to access uh, emergency contraception, um, which is a pill that you can take um, with a glass of water. It has very few bad side effects it's very effective if you take it within 12 hours of unprotected sex it's 98 percent effective at preventing an unplanned pregnancy we give it up to five days after but we strongly recommend that you get it as soon as possible but it's efficacy up to five days is good mm -hmm. there are two ty different types of emergency contraceptive pill and it will be prescribed to you according to your sit your personal situation where you are in your cycle etc you can access it from gps sexual health clinics pharmacies over the counter um and a and e if it's bank holiday weekend and everywhere else is closed it is considered an emergency appointment and you must go and get it um we also offer the fitting of an interuterine device as another form of uh, emergency contraception um which is a good thing because not only do you get then obviously it's more effective than the pill even when it comes to preventing pregnancy but then you also have a very valuable form of contraception inserted which you yeah. can keep for as long as you like so those are the first things the second thing is obviously you would need to have a screen for a sexually transmitted yeah. infection 
And what are the typical symptoms of a sexually transmitted infection other than chlamydia, which you don't know you've got anyway? Well, chlamydia and gonorrhea can be uh, not have any signs and symptoms, but the more obvious ones, obviously, discharge. And the minute we say that to young girls, they all look horror-stricken. We must remember that for most young women, it's perfectly normal to have discharge. Most women have discharge. When your discharge becomes itchy or smelly or funny colour and is unpleasant, should consult someone. It may just be a case of thrush, so don't panic again, but always mm-hmm. just consult. Um, pain, obviously, um, pain in the kidneys, pain in the um, lower abdomen, um, pain when you have sex, bleeding in between sex is um, in between your periods. Mm-hmm. So what we call breakthrough bleeding is a strong indicator of chlamydia. Right. And we, the first thing we would do is be to screen you for that. Um, and then again, also, it can affect your mouth and your throat. So sore throat, tonsils, people get sort of nasty throat infections through diseases like chlamydia. You can mm-hmm. get chlamydia throat and you can have problems in your mouth. Um, sores around the lips and mouth, sores around the um, clitoral areas, sores okay. um, on the penis and on the scrotum. So anything out of the ordinary should always be checked out. And sometimes... Um, boys particularly get into terrible panic they get a swollen testicle or they get a funny thing appear on the end of their penis and they're panic stricken and they're very reluctant to go forward to get advice often it's something of nothing Mm -hmm. but always get it checked out they will not be mean to you they will not judge you they will not tell you off the same goes for when you want emergency contraception doctors and nurses in those clinical environments are there to support advise not to judge and not to lecture Mm. Mm. And not to tell tales. And not to tell tales. It's a confidential appointment. And if you have a friend who, you know, if you're 17 and you and your girlfriends are out and one of them ends up with a boy that night and the next morning they tell you that they haven't given consent, that it wasn't what they wanted but they found themselves in the situation and couldn't get themselves out of it, what advice would you be giving, giving them then? Again, it's very difficult because... The problem here is that young women, young men who find themselves in a situation where they've had non-consensual sex ultimately blame themselves, which they must not do. Nothing you did, nothing you wore, the fact that you got legless, the fact that you were flirting is irrelevant. No one has the right to have sex in any shape or form with another human being without that absolute enthusiastic consent. So um, you have to... You have to report it because if you don't, it will possibly um, cause you great distress um, and upset. If not that particular moment, maybe in the future. Um, plus the fact that that person needs to know they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Even if when the accusations are made, they say, but I thought you wanted to do it. They need to know that you didn't and that next time they need to read the signs, read the signals and just treat the whole situation in a completely different fashion it takes real courage yeah huge huge courage but um it's better that it gets out there and you report it and it's dealt with there and then and it doesn't happen again yeah and it was never anything you did wrong no absolutely I was talking to somebody the other day who said we were talking about the the dangers of you know older boys and younger girls, um, and we were talking. Her there was a lady whose son had been through that situation and, and was going through the courts, and, and one of the other people in the workshop 
said, well, you know, there's a very obvious answer. You know, girls need to carry ID. And I said, well, that's all very well. But in the heat of the moment, A, are they going to have it and remember to ask for it? And B, actually, half of them seem to have fake ID anyway. Mm -hmm. So actually, you're really vulnerable. I think the, the answer is that we need to backtrack from the Tinder, you know, sex then intimacy then a relationship mm -hmm. and start to go about it in the other way so have you noticed that things like tinder have impacted on the way that they're approaching relationships i think certainly dating apps have got a lot to answer for um on some levels uh when it comes to these kind of situations i still maybe have the slightly old-fashioned view of if you don't know how old someone is actually you don't know when their birthday is really is it a good idea to have sex with them in the first place but then obviously it's not an ideal world and people do have casual sex the thing I think that the important message, particularly for young men who seem to be the ones that end up in the firing line time and time again, and I'm not saying for a second that I think that's right, yeah. because my point is that young men do not understand how vulnerable they make themselves in that situation. If it's okay for you to have sex, that's one thing. But if you choose to have sex with someone and you don't absolutely know how old they are, you lose control of the situation immediately yeah. and you make yourself incredibly vulnerable. And I think we must talk to young people about vulnerability. Um, one of the things I'm very, very committed to when I talk to young people is the, the need that they have to take responsibility for each other when they see each other getting into difficult situations, stepping up, realizing someone's had too much to drink, they may be about to do something really stupid. It's really hard to get them out of that situation, but they owe it to each other to mm -hmm. step in and say, is this really a good idea? Mm -hmm. I know that's ideal and I know it doesn't work out like that, but it's surprising how often young people are good at spotting a dangerous situation and actually helping their friends to get out of it. We have to take responsibility. It's a dangerous yeah. world. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think they're very vulnerable a lot of the time, you know, from everything from going clubbing in the Rehypnol festivals, you name it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They really are. I, I feel very sorry for a lot of them, actually. I think it's an incredibly difficult, difficult time to negotiate really difficult and that's why it's more important than ever that we talk to them constantly constantly revisit all these issues don't think we've had that conversation now we can tick that box we have to keep having that conversation on a regular basis round the table mm. you know it should be dinner table conversations absolutely yeah, that's exactly or breakfast sunday breakfast, breakfast is always good yeah the newspapers <laughs> there's always something scandalous in there that you can start a conversation absolutely. with can't yeah, you definitely and talking about making themselves vulnerable i guess you've got the whole issue now of um filming and sexting yes um, that one is the one I think that probably brings most teachers and parents to the point where they wish to bang their heads against something because it doesn't seem to matter how much we say to young people if you allow people to take images of you if you share images they will share them beyond the safety of your friendship groups or your relationships I mean it's an old cliche but how many times do we have to tell them that photographs and videos last forever and relationships don't uh, and people are mean and people will use it against them. My parting words at the end of every talk when we talk, you know, touch upon this is that when that image turns up on your personal profile the night before the biggest interview of your life, you will wish it had never happened. And I think, again, it's like everything. We just have to keep saying to them, 
don't do it. Don't do it's it. not acceptable. And it doesn't matter, you know, how careful you are when you share the image, you know, it's going to come back to haunt you. Yeah. Almost inevitably. And I think also a lot of them don't appreciate the difference between the consent for having sex and the consent for having even a picture of your own naked body mm. on a phone, mm. which is 18. 18. Absolutely. There was a case in Ireland about three years ago where a 17-year-old girl sent a picture to her 17-year-old boyfriend. She was done for distributing child pornography and he was done for receiving and they both got criminal records because wow. it was intercepted. Yeah. And it shouldn't happen, no, but it does. No, and that's going to wreck lives and, uh, you know, oh, yeah. it's just, just terrible. So, so out of interest, what are the most common questions that teenagers ask you when you're when you're chatting to them an awful lot of questions about uh the the favorite one is but if she or he wants to have sex and they're not 16 um why can't they the end of the day as we all know the law is the law is the law and i get there but what if it's like the night before their 16th birthday (laughs) they're still not 16 yeah yeah so i think it's important in that situation of course to point out that the law is not there to criminalize consenting teenagers but it is there to protect the vulnerable young. Mm. Um, and if you are discovered to be in a relationship and one of you is underage, there will be an inquest and it's not much fun. Um, and there'll probably be no criminal action, but you've been through it and everyone's talking about you and it's not much fun. Mm. So that one comes out a lot. Um, I get asked an awful lot of questions about anal sex because okay. a lot of them seem to think that this is the norm. Yeah. I'm at That's pains to point out. what I was trying to yeah. allude to. Yeah. yeah, it is not the norm. And, you know, again, we're reinforcing the message that it can be extremely unpleasant uh, if it is not, you know, approached in the correct way. Mm. Um, it's one thing to want to experiment within your safe sex life with your partner that you trust, but you don't just give anal sex a shot because your partner is basically pressurizing you into it because Mm -hmm. it's not it really is an incredibly intimate act that needs to be approached very carefully uh so we get asked quite a lot about that um we get asked a lot by girls who seem to think that you know but if we've been drinking surely it's our fault if we get assaulted which i find horrendous um Mm. and even in consent workshops we get the younger girls probably slightly more the younger girls saying but you know she was asking for it or she did something whereas we cannot get away from this fact that this is dual responsibility it is not something anyone asks for you can make yourself vulnerable of course if you go out and get completely and utterly wasted and fall over in the street you're vulnerable mm-hmm. but it doesn't give anyone the right to take advantage of that vulnerability i think we also have to say that's it that happens the other way around because um you know i've certainly uh had work with with uh, male clients who I can think of a few of them actually who've ended up get in exactly that situation completely wasted and have been raped themselves mm-hmm. so it, you know we need to recognize that it isn't just boy on girl this yeah. this goes in lots of different ways and they have to be really careful yeah I think I you know when you know again in the situation we're talking to young people um I'm at pains to actually put up slides um talking about male rape because again it's one of those sort of hidden away it is now coming out more i don't think it's because necessarily more young men are being raped but more young men are feeling confident to report it Mm -hmm. um it is a huge problem particularly with as you say rohypnol etc um but young men feel when it's happened to them that it was their fault 
how could they possibly have let this happen even more so because they feel that they shouldn't be in a position to be you know mm-hmm. um so There's i a think lot of shame involved lots of shame involved and i think again you know no one should ever be in that position and it should always be reported no matter who it happens to yeah um but i think you know we all agree on that absolutely definitely wow <laughs> I think there's a huge amount of th- food for thought for everybody there. Absolutely. There's a lot a lot going on. As you say, you know, it's a very challenging time for young people with the impact and influences. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm very um careful to point out that yes, we're all a bit nervous of the internet because of what young people are accessing and because it tends to normalize abnormal behavior. But it's also the most incredible thing that's ever oh, happened to society. Absolutely. Um, and I think to finish on a slightly positive note, because I think we need to, oh. is that there was a fantastic um, survey done by BPAS, the British Pregnancy Advisory Service, again last year, this year actually, came out in the summer and it reported that young people um, actually are drinking less. Yep. They're smoking less. They are. They are having less unprotected sex mm-hmm. um, and less sex generally. Um, that Their relationships tend to be online. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe they are getting to know each other through chatting a bit more, even if we are driven mad by their phones and their iPads. Um, and also they're less likely to get into trouble and less likely to be arrested. Mm-hmm. Um so there's an awful lot there to be quite pleased about. And I feel very strongly when I talk to parents that this is something we need to highlight. Um, that, you know, yes, there's a lot to be concerned about, but also there's a lot to be quite excited about. Absolutely. Definitely. Mm. Alex, thank you so, so much. It's been fantastic talking to you. And, um, and oh, thank you. Well, thank you, Lysia. It's always a pleasure talking to you too. <laughs> I hope you agree that it was really worth keeping all of Alex's words of wisdom despite having to make two podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and I'll look forward to being with you again soon. Mm-hmm.